0: Hi, I'm Jeff, and you're listening to Unbound, fearlessly exploring issues that matter. Today, we are missing James. Uh, It's been a heck of a week for both him and I. Uh, We have just had a bunch of changes going on in our personal life. He's been working night shifts, uh, and uh, it's been tough to coordinate. So, rookie mistakes, but we're improving all the time. We've got some really exciting guests coming up in the next month. Uh, We've got three of those scheduled right now. Uh, we're going to talk about military issues and uh, global security. We're going to talk about politics in Canada like we always do. Uh, we got some great, great interviews coming up that, again, both of us are really excited about. We just kind of had a gap in our scheduling when we were booking guests and it happened to fall in a time both of us were busy. So, like I said, rookie mistakes. Don't want to take up too much time with the intro today. We are talking to a really exciting guest, actually, a local guest in Vancouver, Jordan Bateman. Jordan is the Vice President of Communications for the ICBA. If you don't know, the ICBA is the Independent Contractors and Business Association in uh, in Vancouver and BC, and they help small businesses, particularly contractors, uh, construction businesses, organize their benefits, get some activism on their side to help politicians understand what their needs are and generally improve the way that they handle their business and help them run their business. It's a really great organization. Definitely check it out. The link will be in the description. Uh Jordan's here to talk to us today. We're talking about BC politics. We're talking about the chances that the BC Liberals have in the next election, what they have to do to get to the place that they can actually win. Um, we talk about a whole bunch of things, so definitely stay tuned. Um, and one, one thing, other thing I want to shout out, our numbers have actually picked up a bit. It's a bad time for us to miss an episode because our numbers are on the way up, but they're still rookie numbers and we need to do better than rookie numbers. So share this podcast with your friends. If you're enjoying it, give us a like, give us a review on iTunes, whatever you can do. We'd really appreciate it. And I think the other thing is James and I have both been starting to get some questions, comments on Twitter. Uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, we're happy to kind of DM you back talk about why we're doing what we're doing Uh, people put in suggestions for topics we want covered we've taken those seriously and we really want to kind of we 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 are going to put some of those uh, plans into action so again that's uh, that's coming down the road we're really excited we're going to continue to grow this conversation but today we've got Jordan Bateman so without further ado uh, VP communications with the ICBA Jordan Bateman Okay, welcome Jordan Bateman to Unbound. Jordan is the uh, the VP Communications at the ICBA. And uh, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? What's going on? Tell us a bit about yourself. What's on your mind? What you projects you've been working on?
1: Well, uh, like everyone, I've been working on the COVID project, uh, trying to avoid <laughs> it as best I can. Yeah. Uh, as we as we record, I'm scheduled to have a, a transformative experience at a aisle at Walmart in Metrotown tomorrow yeah, yeah. at two thirty. So. Uh, that's when I hopefully get my jab. Um, you know, it's been such a weird time, right? Like I've got three kids, 11, 14 and 17. Uh, I feel for them. Like my 17 year old has been robbed of a lot of her graduation stuff. My 11 year old and 14 year have been robbed of a lot of sports opportunities school opportunities. Um, I fear that I fear for them that this is becoming the new normal. They don't realize that yeah. they're you know missing out on things. i are gonna have to rewire their brain for the real yeah. world once uh, we're through all this. But yeah. you know we're happy, we're healthy, you know, we're sticking together, we're following the rules as best we can, or at least yeah. managing risk as best we can. And we'll get through this and and uh, on to better things, hopefully.
0: Great. So tell us a bit for those who don't know about the uh, ICBA. What do you guys do? Um, how do you help businesses, that kind of stuff?
1: Yeah. Well, it's a uh, 46-year-old uh, trade association, which sounds old and stodgy, but ICBA is anything but. Um, ICBA is a powerhouse uh, in the construction industry. We have 3,300 uh, members and clients, uh, construction companies, responsible resource development companies, other small businesses. And, you know, we do a number of things. We, uh, we train 5,000 people with professional development skills, uh, We're the single largest sponsor of trades apprentices in the province of British Columbia, far more than the unions. Um, We represent through advocacy um, all of these different companies and and a a sector of construction uh, that really uh, is about 85% of construction workers. Uh, And we also have a big benefits platform. We uh, offer uh, group benefits to companies. Um, uh, Some of the biggest companies in British Columbia buy benefits through ICBA. That's really helped kind of give us us a good sense of, Uh, on a number of things. First of all, how business was handling the pandemic, but also how people were handling the pandemic as far as healthcare went. Hmm. And, um, you know, we've been able to look and you know, track in a a global sense without, you know, nailing down into anyone's privacy, but we're able to see things like, okay, you know, counseling services are up, Um, you know, uh, prescriptions for um, mental wellness issues are up. Um, you know, uh, dentist visits were down, right? You know, you're you're able to see that. You're able to see how people are responding Mm -hmm. in in real time. And that's helped shape a lot of our advocacy going forward. In fact, next week, we're going to launch a huge workplace wellness program designed for the construction industry. Um, A lot of uh, wellness stuff is kind of centered on office folks or knowledge economy, which is all great. We all need help. Um, But this is stuff like toolbox talks, dealing with stigma, dealing with worksite issues, dealing with what happens when you're working remotely or working project to project. Mm-hmm. Um, we're launching that next that's week, fantastic. so we're pretty excited about that.
0: And then, just out of curiosity, because I'm sure this is a stat you'll know, what's the average size of a business that's involved with ICBA? Yeah, most like of our is
1: businesses.
0: How uh, many employees? Like, uh, yeah, like, like, 10 five or six. twenty-five, 10 okay, to that, 25 10
1: employees 25. would be most of them. We have a number of small businesses, though. The great thing about construction is, if you have any entrepreneurial bent at all, you can really build something special in construction. Um, you know, you go, you maybe work for someone else, learn the skill, learn the trade, get your red seal. Um then you kind of strike out on your own. Um and you know it's amazing how companies like you know, Jacob Brothers and Hall Constructors and some very large companies in BC have you know, started but you know, a brother, a couple brothers or a, a couple guys on a crew, they go and strike out on their own and, and turn it into something special. So if you're an entrepreneur, think of construction as a mm-hmm. big possibility for your career.
0: Huh. All right. That's a that's a good message. Okay, so uh BC budget. Came out
2: uh, this week. Well, well, before uh, we, before we even get into in that, We've talked a lot about uh, you know what uh, Jordan's doing now, but we've got to remember that we we do actually do have a number of people that listen to us across this country. Jordan, you're you provide a, a pretty True. strong voice for uh, not only like trade unions and, and, and industries and whatnot, but you also uh, are involved in community, political matters and all that. Can you talk a little bit uh, about why you are a prominent voice? What other th- avenues or, or things that you do? I'd appreciate that.
1: Yeah, well, when I was uh, young, uh, 29, I was elected to uh, Langley Township Council in uh, British Columbia, it's a suburb of Vancouver, it was about a hundred thousand people at the time. Served two terms there, you know, it takes a lot, as you know, to put your name on a ballot, put yourself (laughs) out there for folks uh, to vote on (laughs) and to give you the thumbs up or thumbs down. Often uh, things out of your control uh, determine the uh, results of an election. I did win two elections there, um, served for those six years, left that job, became the BC Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation for six years. Um, great organization fought the good fight for lower taxes, less waste, more government accountability. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so smooth that comes out after all these years, yeah. um, you know, led, uh, led some major campaigns, you know, helped get, uh, the medical services premium tax Well, it was supposed to be cut. They promised me they would eliminate it. They eliminated it and then shifted it onto business, but you know, that's NDP <laughs> for you. Um, Fought uh, uh, a referendum to bring in a uh, 0.5% sales tax, which would have been the first sales tax to be charged by municipalities uh, in Canada. Fought that off in a referendum, led that referendum campaign against virtually every other group in in B.C. was for it. Uh, Everyone was for it but the people and my friend Hamish Marshall and I managed to fight it off. Um, So, yeah, had some good successes there. Love that work. Moved over to I C B A. Still get to do a lot of the advocacy stuff, a lot of the public policy analysis. Um, mix in a little bit of the marketing as far as training and, and benefits and, and and representing construction goes. So, it's been a good landing spot for me. I've enjoyed it. Um, yeah, good organizations. All right, I've been I've been lucky to work for good people um, on good teams no, that don't mind taking I, risks. Yeah,
2: that's. I also that's I don't think you you've you've promoted it, but uh, you do have a podcast there with a uh, another gentleman named McClinkaay uh, yeah. I know a lot of people uh, within the center right do uh, listen to your guys's podcast uh, to kind of inform their opinion and thoughts on what's going on so I think we should give a, a shout out uh, to uh, to your podcast there and the Orca publication so yeah
1: yeah the orca um, you know been was one of the day one writers enjoy it um, you know, it, it's it's interesting. I don't agree with everything that's on the uh, site, and that's good. That means it's uh, doing its job. But it makes me think every day. And uh, yeah, we have the hot stove podcast there. Um, so, uh, it's fun. McLean's McLean is such an easy person to talk to. Um, you know, basically he just you know starts yeah. me off, rouses me up, and then I find myself yelling at the camera. And, and, then, uh, and then and then you know he calms yeah. me down after. So it's all good. So McLean and I have a good little there going on, but. Um, you know, in, in a way, we're fortunate there's an, like, this is the one, the only part of my life where I'm glad the NDP are in power is because what else would I talk <laughs> on hot stove about? What would I rant about if, uh, if the good guys were in power? federal liberals. Yeah, the federal liberals. It's true. I talk a lot more. <laughs> there's limitless things. Yes. Well, McLean, McLean used to work for Paul Martin back in the day. And, uh, the last and good was one. A, that is a very different liberal party. A very liberal different party. liberal party than today. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh. Yes, but uh, he gets a little sensitive from time to time if I take too many pot shots at the Fed libs.
0: There can't be, and this is, I'm totally going down a different path now. There can't be many people from the Martin <laughs> liberals who are still around in the liberal party. Like there just can't no. be
2: ideologically.
1: No, I well, think of Dan McTeague, right?
0: Gas buddy, <laughs> yeah, gas wizard now, or gas
1: price wizard or whatever. Like he was a liberal. Amp if you follow Christian him, you Martin, would think he's like he the most libertarian leader.
2: right or whatnot, you know?
1: Yeah. He puts me to shape, but he's yeah. a fiscal conservative, right? And you know, he was socially liberal and fiscally conservative. And that was what the, that was what Martin Martin, the Martin brand was. You know, the 1995 budget, federal budget, is the single greatest budget in Canadian history. The Canadian Tax Federation gave an award to, uh, a Debt Fighter (laughs) Award to Paul Martin. And now we've seen Justin Trudeau drive in and just light all this money on fire. I I didn't follow the federal budget too much. What we didn't know in the (laughs) 90s is that money doesn't matter. No, yeah, exactly. Right? That's the real development. The one stat from the federal budget that I can't get my mind around is that, Five years from now, the uh, the federal government will spend nine billion dollars on its universal childcare. Nine billion dollars a year. They will spend forty five billion dollars a year in debt servicing, <laughs> and I... no one seems to be bothered by this. Yeah, You're like this is that's the glamour now. Well, We're spending five times more yeah. on financing.
0: I saw I saw on Twitter uh, David Moskorp uh who i follow he's, he's he's smart he's a left-wing guy uh, ndp guy but he's pretty good writing smart takes and he he put a comment up and he said something along the lines of you know this isn't about you can't think about a budget when there's people struggling we've got to kind of like lift each other up and there's you know these are there's an opportunity to do that and there's a piece of me that's like yeah i totally buy that but you got to follow it up with when is the time to think about the deficit you yeah. can't just be like, oh, it doesn't matter now, and then it doesn't matter now, and it doesn't matter now because you've got more important things to do. At some point, you've got to because, yeah, if you could eliminate your deficit, you can suddenly afford a whole new program. You want, you know, dental care, like public dental care? Easy. That's covered. Kill the, kill the deficit. We got that. So, I mean, I guess if you're a total modern monetary guy and you don't think debts matter, then it doesn't matter whether the debt's a trillion dollars or zero. You still can still have the same spending capacity, but... That doesn't well, make sense to
1: me. How does Moscrop explain then the three the three years before COVID that Trudeau was prime yeah, minister exactly. burning money? Like this is what bothers me is you know in the good times we weren't making hay we weren't setting stuff aside getting ready for the bad times and you know now we're headed to a trillion and a half dollar debt which is just it's mind boggling. Well, I, it, uh, I mean
2: that. we talked yeah. we're just talking federal but uh, and this will now bring it back to kind of provincial but I think a lot of provincial governments and uh, a lot of municipal. Even municipalities, everyone's spending like drunken sailors right now and you know that the debt is starting to pile on and I think it is somewhat concerning. Um, what are your takes? Oh, well, yeah, both for Jordan. Go for it. Go, for it. go ahead, Jeff. He's the like, guest. I, I just, I just want to jump. I want to get, I want to get,
0: I want to, I want to, I'm sorry. This isn't me jumping in with my take as priority. I wanted to kind of redirect it into Jordan's thoughts overall about the budget. That was all I was trying to redirect do. Was redirect us back to that. I'll throw in my takes later. Uh, right. Jordan's the guest. I, w- I was keen, but I, I really do want to just redirect it. So tell us about the BC budget. What are the highlights for you? And then tell us about the debt that we're getting into.
1: Yeah, well, the BC budget is a, uh, well, you know, as I was driving home from work today, I was thinking, okay, like, what's the narrative from the BC budget, right? Like, what's the story? Because, you know, there's two cliches about budgets for politicians. Budgets are about choices. And we made, you know, that's the first one. We made the choice to do this priority. And then the other one is, you know, our budget is focused on X, you know, about making life more X. Well, there is no message out of this budget. There is no narrative out of this budget. Okay, maybe it's a bit about COVID. They talk about COVID a lot. But, like, you know, I think the number is $900 million. $900 million for direct pandemic healthcare, vaccinations, PPE, contact tracing. Great. Spend $950 million for yeah. all I care. Spend, so like, we're on the pandemic. Like, you know, none of us are counting the pandemic as, like, you know, we're not counting the, the pennies on, and yeah, nickels. Inappropriate
0: that. spending, yeah.
1: No, exactly. Like, fine. Like, as much as you need, it's a forest fire blazing. Put it out, whatever it takes. If it takes nine hundred eight billion or $908 million, do it, whatever. Then the question was like, okay, is it about making life more affordable? And, you know, the government had this little, you know, flyer, backgrounder in the budget lockup, and it was, you know, we're making life more affordable. But the problem was all the affordability measures that they talked about happened four years ago. We took the toll off the Portman Bridge. Okay, great. That that was four years ago. Everyone's mm-hmm. absorbed that into their budget by now. You know, we cut MSP. Well, actually, just tax shifted on to employers, which you know gets clawed back in different ways from people, generally through fewer raises because it costs more to employ them. So, but okay. What, what have you done lately? Well, their big affordability thing this time was free transit for kids under twelve. Okay, uh, great. I, you know, for a very, very small percentage of families, that would be very helpful. For mine, who, you know, I'll, I'll take the eleven-year-old on maybe on SkyTrain once or twice a year. <laughs> like, okay, great, you save me six bucks. Hot dog. Same, it's the same like,
0: government that the attorney general took that guy, uh, what's his name, to court because he yeah. let <laughs> his kids on the bus, right? Yeah, yeah, the 5 condos, uh, the Five <laughs> yeah. kids, a yeah, yeah, kids
1: exactly. in a condo guy. Kids in a
0: condo because he let his like his kids go as a little exactly. pack out to school, but exactly. <laughs> at least I'm riding the bus for free now.
1: Yeah, illegally. So it all started to fall apart, and you know, you know, the government doesn't have a narrative because you know, in the lockup, the reporters start asking questions, and they're all over the map. These questions this year. Von Palmer wanted to talk about debt. God bless him. Um, you know, the deficit came in four billion dollars less than expected. You know, I, I'm not going to throw a parade because they came in with an eight and a half billion dollar deficit. Um, you know, that was really built on the back of yeah. natural gas royalties. <laughs> Um, you know, property transfer tax—all these things that they have raged against for years, uh, bailing them out of trouble. But okay, you know, Bob Palmer's point was great. You have this throwaway line in the budget. You're going to try to get back to balanced budgets in seven to nine years, um, although quote, it's too early to forecast a specific timeline. It's never too early to start. Like, give us a goal. Is it seven years? Is it five years? Is it nine years? Is it fifteen years? Start working towards that. Um, yeah, there just was no unifying message. So everything was all over the map in that budget. And, you know, for me, like all politics is local. That's what you learn as a counselor. All politics is local. So I'm in a, I live in a house here in, in Langley Township. Um, and we bought two years ago. It's a single family home. And, you know, we paid about nine 50 for it very expensive, like, exp- like expensive for us, like mm-hmm. we, there's a long progression to get to this point and the bank owns most of it, uh, down the street, two years later, house, very close to ours in age and size and value and, and all of that just sold this week for <laughs> $1.4 million. So that's a $450,000 swing in two years.
0: Now, You're not lucky though. You're just a good investor.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and now, it's my retirement, so let's not get too let's not do anything. But you sit there and you think, okay, like we talk about affordability, and think of all of the whining and bitching and complaining the NDP did about the Liberals handling of the affordability files. And there's a forty percent increase in my neighborhood in the housing costs. And so they can cut costs tomorrow by twenty percent through you know maybe waving a magic wand. I don't know how they would do it, but let's say they did. You know, people are still yeah. further behind than they ever been. And and so this is the problem is you have the NDP who came out with a bunch of grandiose promises, and we've seen it over and over again, blaming BC liberals for all sorts of problems, opioids, you know, oh, Christy Clark is heartless and doesn't, you know, doesn't give a shit about people dying on the streets. We will fix it. No, it's worse than ever. Like affordability. Oh, you know, Christy Clark is in with the money launderers and blah, blah, blah. Hey, whatever, you know, we'll fix it, uh, they haven't fixed it. They promised the cancer center for uh, Cavloops, not a nickel for funding there. You know, Massey Bridge, oh no, no, we, there's funding in the budget, no, no, there is no funding in the budget for construction. I asked the actual, like the Deputy Minister of Transportation and their brain trust, right? You know, all of these things that they promise and just, oof, gone. Childcare, you know, uh, making baby steps, you know, building housing. So what do you think is going on there, Jordan? What is, Um,
2: uh, what, what's happening?
1: I think a few things. I think, first of all, governing is hard. (laughs) So like you could promise everything you want and uh, maybe in their heart of hearts, they never thought they'd actually get into power. So governing is hard. Um, The economy is reeling. The numbers in the budget this year for me, the thing I spend the most time, we're looking at the at the economic indicators because we have not had them for a long – we haven't had them for so long. We haven't seen any during COVID. GDP fell 5.3% in 2020. So that means one twentieth of the economy mm-hmm. contracted, like disappeared from British Columbia. And this year, we're going to get 4.4% growth. We're still behind. It will be very late into 2022 before we get the economy back to where it was in 2020. That is a terrible sign.
0: Um, you if, know, we, if things go to plan. and as If things of, go to plan, yeah. You and I were talking about ahead of time. I think there's a lot of kind of things rippling below the surface yeah. that are going to make a much more, a much worse outcome here in the medium term that, than we think because as we start to come out of the pandemic, landlords who have been forgiving their commercial tenants or residential tenants for rent because they don't want to have to kick them out in the middle of the pandemic are going to say, okay, you got to pay me back now. And that's going to put a lot of businesses out of, out of, out of work. I think, uh, you know, there's things like that. It's just, it's not going to be over the minute that vaccines were all vaccinated and everybody's going back to their daily life. Yeah.
1: Well, you're right. And who's, what investor, or what entrepreneur is excited to get back in and start, you
0: know,
1: launching why, a new business?
0: Why would, why would, I mean, this is, this has been a, a thing I've been pushing. Uh, why would you invest anywhere anyway in Canada? Mm-hmm. Why would you not just buy real estate? I mean the the realist the part of the problem with the real estate is is that if you've got if you're somebody sitting around with five million bucks and your options are put into a boring ETF make one percent a year no I don't want to do that Uh, maybe I could go find some new startups some new investors you know some small BC businesses that I could help out well that sounds interesting it all sounds like a lot of work it may have a good profit but it probably doesn't. Or I could just throw it into, I could find a way to buy another piece of residential real estate through my kids or buy a second, you know, a condo or whatever it is. And I'll make 10% a year on that. So that sounds like a winner. Brain dead easy investment if I got 5 million bucks sitting in the bank. I, I think that the housing issue is really killing investability in small businesses. I think that's a real issue.
1: That's a great point. And when I applied to steel, So thank you.
0: You can credit our podcast. So our 12 listeners can know where it came from. What, what right have heard you it first.
2: In terms of exactly. uh, in budget and in, in signaling from this government, in terms of promoting risk taking um, and, and productivity, like what is there it was there anything there for that?
1: No, there's no plan. There's, you know, the, the heads of the, uh, the nine families, so the nine biggest trade associations in BC, they wrote, including our, our president, Chris Carter, they wrote an op-ed just asking, like, whatever you have in the budget, just make sure there's a plan for economic growth. Like, start laying the groundwork. And there was nothing. Um, there's $500 million for some new crown corp called NBC. And this okay. is supposed to be their innovation corporation. And really, it sounds like it's just going to be a corporate welfare slush fund. Which does not create, you know, as we know, the kind of growth that anyone ever expects, and it's just sort of there. Five hundred million dollars we've given it to NBC. NBC has, you know, no website, no mandate letters, no mm-hmm. like, there's nothing to it yet. So it'll be interesting to see what what they do with that. Um, it's, you know, it's so frustrating this government because, look, I'm glad they didn't go the Road route and just spend outrageously. Yeah. And, you know, I did laugh at the CCPA and the Tai just shredding them for yeah. not being left enough. Like, you know, and I don't think they can. I think that, you know, I think they realize that 2024, there will be another election, they have to face the electorate, and they have to show it some sort of reasonable economic response to what's going on. But
0: and you can never be left enough for the Thai anyway, unless you've got Soviet <laughs> no. tanks going down the street. Well Jordan, I, I know this
2: would probably get you uh, a little upset in terms of but I, I talked about this in one of our podcasts and I I the one of the big successes that the BC liberals I think um have that no one wants to kind of talk about is they is basically they made the BC NDP have to govern very close to the way they governed in order to be electable in this province and i think sometimes that's yeah. a a yeah. i think horgan realizes that or jeff Meggs must realize that whatever that they have to be somewhat close to center and if they're not uh, and this is I, I think he's keeping that he's trying to keep that ship together because i from what i saw from a lot of their young people that were elected they're pretty idealistic they're pretty far left um I would be concerned. And so, you know, like this budget was, yeah, it was a lot of spending, um, but it was kind of boring. And boring government in some form and shape is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah.
2: The, yeah. The question is who, yeah.
1: what happens after yeah. Horgan retires, right? So, or leaves the office or resigns in a scandal or however. Because Mike Harcourt did the same thing. Harcourt came in, tried to play it pretty center of the road, you know didn't get too crazy. And then, you know, ended up at being chased by scandal and Glenn Clark ended up in charge. And you know, even though he now runs one of the largest businesses in British Columbia, God bless him. Uh, and probably would like to go back and I assume strangle himself in the past uh, for some of the decisions that were made, uh, you know, if he has any sense. Um, but, you know, that's where things went, went haywire. Um, you're right. You know, what does a premier David Eby look like, you know, in this province, you know, what does, you um, you know i'm not sure who the other contenders would be eby's always tabbed as sort of the heir apparent although i think the shine's come off uh, come off him quite a bit um, you know what what where would it go it's also the, the thing with the NDP 2 is they are so they what frustrates me most about politicians is when they think everyone lives like they do mm-hmm. or should live like they do yeah. and it, this was the this was the fiddle flaw in the translink campaign for the pro-tax side is everyone thought, you know, everyone who was running the groups in, in charge of campaign for this, you know, lived in the town and sipped lattes and walked around coal Harbor and, you know, could, you know, take the Skytrain for a stop and get from where their house to work or could walk or bike to work. And that would not, was not going to resonate with my uncle Brent living in Cloverdale with the power lines out back, you know, <laughs> who's, you know, great, great pride in life was building this beautiful garden in his, you know, suburban home backyard and, and a little latrine. So he didn't have to go into the bathroom. Uh, so he didn't have to go into the house to pee. Like that was his great thing. And this was completely different than, you know, what these folks were suggesting. And of course, um, they couldn't get their head around it. Right. Like people, not everyone has to live like you do and not everyone wants to live like you do. And this is where the NDP fall down is they think everyone, um, should live like them, and they're very pushy about that kind of ideology. You know, that's why they turn a blind eye to you know protesters shutting down Highway 99 and getting on a ferry during a <laughs> pandemic and protesting, sure. you know, yeah. a protesting a pipeline that's been approved twice. <laughs> like totally normal stuff. It doesn't make any sense, right? But this is this is well, of course that's of course that's what they do. This is this do is. Do you us, think they've learned right? the lesson?
2: They won't they, just, uh, they won't invite them in for pizza it. this time. <laughs>
0: Oh God, I
1: hope not. Scott, Scott I, Fraser, uh, the, that minister was just.
2: It did not so turn out bad. well. <laughs> so
0: I, I'm yeah. going to put, uh, push back on you a little bit. Cause I think that, of course, I totally agree that the NDP are totally like that, but I think that that's a problem in politics in general. Mm-hmm. And I think that that to, to a large extent, uh, we are going to talk about the BC liberals, so we can start that now, but uh I think to a large extent that was a similar problem that the BC liberals had was that the, the people who they selected to run for their party, excluding the co-host of this podcast, very much, very much represented a narrow slice of the BC population. Mm -hmm. And that just, I think that the things have turned and that just can't fly anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at a great a great take that I hear about City Hall all the time is like, how many people in City Hall are rental renters? How many councillors are land, land you know homeowners versus renters? Zero. Uh, how many? Actually, I think I think one, uh, but they own they just don't live in the house they own. They rent it out. Uh, how many you know MLAs are owners versus renters? If we're talking about that, you know, there's a lot of different kind of. It it is a relatively narrow slice when you look at how diverse um, the Vancouver. Vancouver is in the city politics, and then also in uh, in the province, how diverse the province is. It's a ridiculously diverse province. And uh, mm-hmm. we need to have people from all parties kind of reflect that in their own.
2: It'd be interesting because we're all well, I, I yeah. mean, uh, Jordan lives out in Langley. So that's kind of starting to get out and getting out onto the edges there. But um, you kind of look at it and God's <laughs>
1: God's country, James. God's country. You look
2: at it and you get um, a, a very urban-esque flavor with our provincial politics and provincial leaders. Leaders, And it it's, it, um, you know, what what all of these parties kind of are talking about uh, sometimes is not very far removed from from what a Vancouver City Council uh, kind of talks about. And it's a progressive element. And what I really liked uh, that you said, Jordan, about this, Thinking that everyone wants to live the way you do is—I find that sometimes that uh, is—you—you can—you can can get sucked into that progressive element of politics of saying I'm going to solve all the world's problems. You know this, especially when you you start getting to the climate change stuff and bike lanes here and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's it's always I have the answers. I have the answers. I have the answers instead of um, what I think sometimes is very important in terms of a conservative or center right ideology is respecting other people's creativity, ingenuity, hard work and ensuring that certain policies are in place that support that. And I think even like something like um, um you know, you can go into a deep dive in, in terms of child care where there's state run child care, like $10 a day child care program where we know best. We know how, you know, you should have child care programs for kids versus a center right should be looking at like, how can we provide um, the money, the affordability, whatnot in terms of uh, for families so that they can make their decisions of what they think is best for the kids. Is that you know like that's kind of what I, I looked at, and I really like that point you brought up because I've I've yeah. I've even fallen into that sometimes of thinking like my answer is the best answer, and I, I feel that is a very progressive element um, that's dangerous uh, within politics.
0: But, and to some extent, though, I'd say like if you feel if you're one of those people who feels like you have the right answer, whether you're a BC Liberal, BC NDP, federal Liberal, whatever, do it because one of my frustrations with the federal the federal Budget and the BCE budget as well. Looking at it, it's a whole lot of money. I don't see how it's really going Mm -hmm. to improve the lives for most people. So if if you've got a plan that you really think is going to improve the lives of people, let's say it's national daycare, fine. Put the money up and do it and get it done and don't just talk about it and you know relentlessly (laughs) consult and relentlessly you know you know put your plan in place and then adjust it after the fact. And if that's going to cost money, fine. But you know I. I've said this to James before, I don't have a problem paying taxes. I have a problem paying taxes and not seeing a return on investment in my community. So Mm -hmm. if taxes go up, but everybody around me, you know, lives Mm -hmm. improve, not necessarily mine, but I can see that, you know, like homelessness improves, you know, addiction issues improve, like whatever the, whatever the issues are, if I'm paying more taxes and I see that improvement, that's great. But we always have this issue in Canada where it's like taxes go up. Life stays the same. Like it's just the cost of doing business.
2: Well, I mean, Uh, Sometimes I always push back and I say, how good is government uh, at fixing your potholes in your road? And, you know, people are like, well, not that great. And and so you expect throwing a ton more money at them is going to like make things better. I don't, I'm not disregarding government, you know, government, um, public sector, all that uh, is required in providing the services that we expect. Same, like things like healthcare and all that. I just feel right now we're in this progressive movement or ideology. Uh, it's not even like a budget or a massive spending idea. it's a progressive ideology of saying we have the answers. A lot of it's going to come from growing from it. and you're seeing a, a, like a, a very large expansion of the public sector. I think it's happened. Uh, there's been a pretty large expansion of public sector in B.C. I, I imagine Jordan could probably speak better to mm-hmm. it, um, but it, it's you know. The, yeah. It is a bit concerning, and frankly, it's unsustainable. That's the big thing. Like it, it's, it is unsustainable. Even when federal government is saying, "Oh, we're going to provide yeah. a whole bunch of money." Well, how long are you going to provide that money? Is all of a sudden, like in a couple of years from now, is the, the provincial government going to be required to come up with that money? Uh, you know, and and if you're not focused on economic growth, this is the Peter Thiel element uh, of me. Like, you know, productivity matters right? Productivity matters to our quality of life. And, you know, like Canada and, and BC now, like our track record is not impressive. Wasn't impressive before COVID. Um, definitely not now. And it, it, I mean, provincially, wasn't that great? Federally, deeply concerning. Deeply concerning that a federal government uh, as far as I'm concerned, is talking about small boutique little things instead of a national, large federal government in terms of big nation-building stuff, right? Yeah.
1: Sometimes I worry the era of big ideas is gone. Right? Like, you know, there is. You know, what is the big I mean, aero tools carbon? faux tax tax i don't know what that Whatever. is but, and please don't ask me to explain it because you know i'm like that meme of the the woman from beautiful Mind. all the numbers are flashing <laughs> over and i'm totally lost I, I have no idea what i have no idea what that carbon plan is that's called threading
0: the needle through a hole that doesn't exist
1: the taxpayers federation today sent out a letter that the head of it my former boss Scott headache shredding him um, and basically saying the CTF prefers the Trudeau carbon tax to the O'Toole <laughs> carbon tax plan, and trying no to re- lie. Basically, you know they had a video clip. O'Toole, I will repeal the tax. I will not bring in any form of carbon pricing. They lied to them, and you know that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a big problem for them going going forward. Okay, just a couple points that you guys touched on there that kind of sparked thoughts. When I was uh, when I was on council running for reelection. Um, so Langley being um, next door to Surrey, we would often have cross-border fundraisers uh, where you would go and meet nice people in Surrey, and they would give you they you know donate money to your campaign, and and uh, it was the it was the wild days of uh, local politics. Um, but I, I remember being at one event, and there's probably like forty or fifty people there. It was in uh, Newton. It was under a tent in a driveway, and someone. I had got nicely catered and like invited like 50 people who cared about Surrey and Langley and, and Delta, and then some of us to, to talk with them. And and this person got up and gave a speech and said, you know, we don't do this for federal politicians. and We don't do this for provincial. So we only do this for municipal politicians. And here's why. When we pay taxes to the federal government, it goes to pay for the library and the House of Commons. How many of you have ever been to the library in the House of Commons? Of course, you know, one person put up their hand. And when we pay for the provincial taxes, it goes to the library and the legislative assembly. How many of you been to the legislative library? Again, you know, one person put per up. All right. And when we pay for, you know, municipal taxes, it goes to your local library, the one down the street of there, and the one, you know, in Langley there. How many of you have been to the library there, seen that library this week? And everyone's hands goes up. It's like that's why we, you know, that's why we do it. And so it's like that kind of really mm. hyper local like you don't get you don't get tax revolts among municipal voting blocks very often it has to be a really egregious tax hike to get you all thrown out of office even though municipal taxes go up three four five six percent a year but i think that because it's local you know the public works guy coaches your kids (laughs) hockey team the firefighter is the safety person right like there's this connection to the local economy yeah you just can't get away right like I'm I'm gonna grind you as a municipal councillor, then get you down to a one percent pay raise, <laughs> firefighters, and then you're gonna bench my kid <laughs> on the hockey team, right? Like, it's it's a weird yeah. dynamic. So you know that kind of local, that kind of local feeling there, um, and then I've been thinking a little bit, and I, I should probably this is a half baked thought, so forgive me for <laughs> trotting it out before it's fully <laughs> baked. But um, I've been thinking about this absolute allergy. The elites have uh, the media has politicians mm-hmm. have to populism and, and what i can't quite connect in my head is okay these are the same people who read wisdom of the crowds and we're like all oh, about wikipedia <laughs> like creating like yeah. the wisdom of the crowd but yeah. populism is evil but the wisdom of the crowd so what is the difference there and i'm sure they have some sort of elegant way of you know threading that needle that makes them sleep at night
0: um but is, is, these are one of the thoughts i'm kind of Fox got bashed because it was a legitimate, in my opinion, it was a legitimate threat to labor in the UK and through Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, you know, to the Democrats. And they campaigned in a way that was very different and they hit different ideas very differently. And because those people were bad people, according to those on the left, uh, therefore, the way that they campaign and the way that they relate those ideas must also be bad. And I don't think that's the case. I forget which one it was. There was a really good Realignment podcast episode about popul- populism and, uh, and they define well, it. Really well. I Have mean, for me, it it's like, but, uh, isn't government supposed yeah, that's to a be weird one.
2: populist? Isn't it supposed to be responsive to people's wants and not like... And I'll push back. I I, I always I, I loathe Boris Johnson being in the always named in the same boat as Donald Trump. He is, as far as I'm concerned, he is not. And yeah, and I he, think a lot saying, of not, a lot not, of people not, on the saying, left and Labour actually yeah. uh, voted for him last time. And I, I know a lot of elites were up in arms about uh, Brexit. And uh, clearly, I, I just don't think they've been really privy to um, Britain's uh, and. England's history and all that I mean they retained the pound for for Pete's sake you know like as an element of their independence and that you know they've always they've always mm-hmm. some form of other kept their independence from Europe which was, ended up being the good yeah, call like it's just you, you tell me that you know you as someone living in England wants to have more say over your government more say over the bureaucracies of of what like I think yeah, I, I I get it. Um, so I, I've pondered that uh, your your thing as well, Jordan, about this populist thing. And I think you know, I think Jeff's onto it. I think I think it was kind of a word that was weaponized in some form, uh, based on uh, Donald Trump. I, you know, uh, unfortunately, there was other. I don't say and I'm not going to say Donald Trump had the courage. Donald Trump was just the person that saw it and he was able to act on it. And unfortunately, there was, you know, whether elites in the Republican, or elites in the Democrat, um, that ha- lacked the courage to uh, act uh, on that movement or time. And it's still, I think, there's still that element there to provide something for, um, you know, this in this case, for, for Americans, right? There is some deeply structural issues at play in the United States that need to be dealt with as there is in Canada as well. So, you know, populists, so you're telling me you're being responsive to, you know, you know, the voter.
0: I'll throw a definition of what I think a populist is. So I think, I think what Donald Trump did differently is he listened to what he heard people wanting and he pursued those policies even if they were dumb policies. Like he, he, you know, take the border wall, for example, yeah. right? Like objectively on any kind of scale, it's a dumb policy. No, like no, just, no, no.
1: You're not understanding. It's going to go the, all the way <laughs> Man, up. The I mean, yeah.
0: Even if you built the whole way, it's still a dumb policy. But <laughs> I think what connected with him is that there was a real feeling of something has to be done about immigration. Even if And even if this isn't the right answer, at least we're doing something. And he tapped into that. Versus the kind of more traditional kind of like Democrat elites would be like, well, you just don't understand Mm -hmm. the problem well enough. Like you don't like we you don't really like I I understand your concern, but you don't really understand what's happening. And I would say that that's kind of the difference is that and like I would say that like Quebec has probably had a lot of populists because they've been a lot of populists who've pursued policies that are objectively Mm -hmm. dumb, but fit, but are what their people want. Um, even if their people are <laughs> wrong, right? Like, 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 and I don't mean that back in back NASA, <laughs> I just mean that in a sense of like, oh, you know, the, the patriots out there fighting to get the border wall built are objectively wrong. Like, it's just yeah. like, right? But he harnessed that energy mm-hmm. in, and he, he had to give him something, he had to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was those, and it was that was, I think, the policy that won him the presidency, probably more than any other p- limited policies he put forward. So, Anyway, speak, let's let's get back to BC a little bit. What yeah. do the BC Liberals do need to do in the next election? There's a leadership campaign going on now. There's a lot of work to be done in about eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Um, what what should what is their plan? <laughs> what should their plan be? Who should make it up? Well,
1: um, the BC Liberals got their ass kicked in virtually every demographic last election. Um, there was not a single age uh, demographic of women who favored the BC Liberals and the other party, to, uh, to the NDP. Uh, young men and old men both voted, uh, according to exit polls, for the NDP over the BC Liberals, leaving only middle-aged men, God bless them, uh, <laughs> hanging in there for the, the BC Libs. So the first thing you have to do is, um, obviously there's a leadership race. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing about the leadership race will be this. They'll all want to jump in with policy solutions, and yeah, policy is important, and we'll get there. But this is a mm-hmm. values Here's slash it. survival situation. You know, this is like, what do we actually yes. believe in and stand for? Like, we, we, you know, the BC Liberals won sixteen years of government, then Christie lost the minority government, and she brought in the clone speech. And then all of a sudden these divergent parties, the, the NDP and the BC liberals, all of a sudden all their policies basically became very similar, running very close roads to each other. And, you know, I've heard apocryphal tales of, you know, asking BC liberal critics, you know, for platform suggestions, and basically their platform suggestions were, well, we'll do what the NDP are doing, but just a little faster, just a little better, just a little smarter. <laughs> like that's not a choice, right? You know, Given the choice, people will always take the one they know rather than the one they don't know, if everything is, is equal. So the leader has to come in, and it's a it's a massive rebuild. After sixteen years, they had snuffed out um, a lot of the younger talent in their party. Um, you know, they had not done a good job of training the next generation of campaign managers or candidates. Um, hang on, uh, the next generation of candidates or campaign managers they had not
0: uh, found any.
1: Uh, I'm sorry, my wife was sneaking into the office here, but she didn't realize not we're, not all- oh, yeah, we're not on video. We're not video, so no, it's
0: all good. It's all good. She's <laughs> in yeah, a barrel This
1: is like, James, well, you would be impressed as a former, yeah. uh, former military man. I was impressed impressive stealth there. Uh, man, yes. working at home, isn't it the best? Um, so, you know, they have to do that. They have to rebuild the party apparatus. They have to find a way to not run, you know, 15, 17 ridings in Surrey and Vancouver. They yeah. ran one woman. No. In 17 ridings, yeah, um, they, you know, like I've talked a little bit about Christie Clark. She's on my mind because of the money laundering testimony she did earlier this week. Um, she was far from perfect as a leader, but the one thing she could do is recruit candidates. And there was there was this charm to Christie and this kind of forcefulness in the way she would talk to you that you. You'd say yes to things that you meant to say no to, and all of a sudden you're like, "Oh, I'm on her radio show. I didn't even want to be here, but here I am because that's what Christy did." So she went out and recruited pretty strong slate of candidates for that 2013 election. The miracle comeback. They won that. Um, you know, Andrew Wilkinson for you know all the other things that maybe he could bring to the table was not a candidate recruiter. Um, you know, I, I live in Langley, two-term councillor, public profile. The <laughs> leader didn't call me. The leader didn't call any of the folks I know about running. Now, would I have if he called? No, God, no. But still, you make the call, right? And that's the difference. So, you know, whether it's Kevin Falcon or Michael Lee or Els Ross or Renee or Aaron or Gavin or whoever, Val, they, they have got to be willing to go out well, there and I, can the I candidates. speak?
2: Um, okay. And I just want to, as we talk about, uh oh, sorry, I, I got to say one thing to Christy. And I, I'm not, I have no connection to Christy Clark. Uh, I've never met her. And it's funny, Jordan, you talk about her recruiting people and all that. After the campaign, never met her. She sent me like a lot, like an actually very well thought out handwritten letter. Uh, I was really taken back uh Ooh. by it. And it's kind of those things, you know, uh, like, hey, keep, Keep at it. You know, I, I once, you know, came for your writing and everything. I think you got a future, all that stuff. Um, very commendable. So if she ever hears this, thank you, uh, Christy Clark. Uh, that really impressed me. It said something to your character about that. So sorry, Jeff, I was cutting you off. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's okay. I mean, that's, 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 great. Great that's a great story. And it's exactly what I was about to say. It's like, how do you think somebody like Bo and Ma ended up there? I mean, she, my understanding at the time was she was involved in the NDP, but she didn't have a council position. She didn't have, a, you know, a high, a big platform, but she was keen and she was eager and she, you know, spoke to the right demographics, you know, for a younger audience and a, an engineer, like she's really qualified. And so somebody would have had to do some research at the top to say, hey, she's somebody we should think about. And I just don't see that happening mm-hmm. with the BC liberals. And that's not just at the, you know, when I first came out back out to BC a couple of years ago, you know, I tried to get involved kind of in the EDAs, both for the federal conservatives and the BC Liberals. And I'm basically turned away. Like, it's basically like, well, you know, we don't really have a lot of room. And, you know, we got, we got kind of what we want to be doing here. And I said, you know, I really want to talk about, I think housing is like a really big issue, you know, and they're like, well, I don't want to talk, you know, we don't want to talk about housing because people, you know, it's, it's not really a provincial thing to do. It's a municipal thing. And it's not really a problem because what do you know, everybody on the EDA is 60 years old plus. And it's all homeowners in the west side of (laughs) Vancouver. So, I mean, those are the things that the party has to do, clearly, to reach out. And the thing is,
2: I'm going to say some things that are going to be hard. Um, We talk about the BC Liberals, the BC Liberals, BC Liberals. I don't know if it's going to be the BC Liberals after this. Like You know, the most vitriol, angry hate that I faced at the door were from my fellow Conservatives right? Um, one, because I think of the name. Two, because I think... I don't want to say, again, progressive, but there was this element of progressiveness where they're like, you are no different than the NDP now. You're no different. Like, why? And, and so when... You know, we say that a lot of yeah. these men voted for the NDP. One is the the Horgan have a beer factor, I'm sure. But two, they just didn't see the difference. And I a lot of <laughs> conservatives. There's this thing about conservatives; they will cut their nose off despite their face. is that that is a, a conservative based thing. <laughs> it's like you know what? Mm-hmm. I don't like you, and it's not. I'm not going to vote for the party. I screw it. I just don't care. I don't like you. And so um, this is yep. going to be a tough thing. But this is. I think this is a, a I think Aaron O'Toole's now coming up against this now, too. that the, the center right yep. is is in a values-based inflection point. And it, you know, um, I think the left, um, Trudeau is very coherent on this, uh, in terms of providing a coherent, progressive left-wing vision. Um, and the NDP in some words, like they fought a culture-based war against a technocratic um leader. I, I felt, I felt um, uh, Wilkinson is very technocratic and a lot of the old guard of, and I'm sorry, I don't like saying that. It doesn't, any age doesn't matter. It's just I, people have been into the, the game for a bit, I think are somewhat technocratic. The center right generally is technocratic. They can get into these lofty policy discussions and all that, but that's not the time we're in. I think there is a culture thing going on. And it's a values, it goes down to a values-based discussion. What are the values you're going to retain? And are your values going to be, uh, you know, offer me a something that's different than what the guys have in the current government?
1: Yeah, and then you're right about the, the names. I think that's, you know, uh, that's going to happen. Uh, there's no way we're seeing that BC-level brand be used again in, in another election. It's just, it's too much you're exactly right because they cutting off their nose despite their face. And that's the <laughs> Taxpayers Federation, you know, shredding you know, Aaron O'Toole. So what, what do you, like, this is what I'm going to ask him the next time I see Scott, I'm like, so what are you saying? Are you saying vote for Trudeau? Like, or are we just supposed to like, like, Trudeau's better. A billion, a trillion and a half dollar debt is better than you know one carbon policy you don't like that BC already had. Like BC's already got carbon tax. Like what do I care? It means nothing to me in British Columbia. We already have a carbon scheme. Um, so like, this is the this is this is the problem. You, you talk. We talked about values. The other thing that needs to happen is we have to get better at you know then sharing those values with other people. Yeah. One of the weaknesses of the BC Liberals was. They were in power for 16 years when Facebook, Twitter, Instagram arrived, when social media arrived. And social media is very much a tool of the opposition. So you have the NDP running four to one uh, against the liberals when it comes to Facebook page likes, you have, you know, the Tai and and all of their, you know, the Narwhal and Dogwood and all these groups with, you know, BC Federation of Labor and Teachers Federation with you know tens of thousands of Facebook followers. And then you have, you know, the, the Business Council of British Columbia has fewer than a thousand Facebook followers. ICBA, we have twenty-eight thousand. Um, we have the the you know other than BC Proud and and I guess Aaron Gunn, you know, we have, we have more than the BC Liberals. How does the Construction <laughs> Association have more Facebook so followers than the lead than the, uh, like, the party that governed for sixty? Is this, so is
0: Aaron stocks. Gunn the answer then? Because he knows how to work social media.
2: Well,
1: this is this is the thing about Aaron Gunn, right? Like, so I worked with him at the, the the Taxpayers Federation, and you know. The, the drive-by smear from folks who don't really actually pay attention to Aaron Gunn is, oh, he's good on Facebook. He's got a big Facebook following. He must be alt-right. He must be racist. He must be all these things. Um, he's just he don't mistake fearlessness yeah. with racist <laughs> racism, right? Like he's just fearless in how he responds to stuff. And you saw I forget which NDP MLA came out and kind of smeared him with this, you know, he's a racist yeah, thing. That. And BC liberals up to him, you know, now would be like, oh my God, like, doc, you know, oh, don't, you know, and like apologize immediately. Um, and Aaron went right back at her and said, no, this is what I said. This is what yeah. I meant. I, don't explain
2: what I really appreciate it. I reached out to Aaron to, about that. Yeah. I, th- I thought it was, uh, you know what, the, Aaron, yeah. I think, gets it in terms of the cultural sense because he knows what they're attacking the center right on. Um, yeah. And so he's not, um, and he, You know, I I don't want to like put Aaron in a spot where he's like, no, that's not what I am. But this is, I guess, my my assumption or what I see is one, he is coherent in his value statement and and what he sees. And like you said, he's fearless, like he goes at it where I think sometimes. Um the center right is scared of its, its shadow. Like, no, if you believe in certain value sets, then fight for them and and, and get the word out yeah. there and show people like well, this is, you know, like, um, yeah, this is when you have these, like when I first met Aaron, I, it was about a carbon tax issue. And I was like, oh, that's and there's that guy, you know, and we had this discussion. And then, you know, at the end of it, you're like, yeah, well, the guy actually has a really good argument. It is coherent. It makes you know, a lot of sense, like it's, and people will try to position him or put him in a certain box. Um, you know, if, whether he jumps into the race or not, or, or, you know, I think there's a big value of having a guy like that there, um, to, um, you know, provide, like provide a perspective, a perspective, I think for a lot of, at least of, conservatives uh within bc to to follow and feel like yeah my voice is being heard i think he's providing a actually a a voice for quite a few people
1: one of the things that frustrated me most last term was the way the liberals cannibalized themselves over the light magazine advertisement so it's (laughs) easter and a number of mlas want to put out an ad to you know wish christians a happy easter so they put it in a christian publication and then, you know, it turns out I forget who it was. There was some sort of thing that I certainly wouldn't agree with, and I am a Christian, <laughs> would not agree with with that. Uh, some views expressed in another part, and all of a sudden, the liberals were scrambling. And why did you advertise in this magazine? And you know, the liberals could have said, could have gone to the media and said, "Listen, guys, we advertise in the Vancouver Sun. We don't always agree with what Von Palmer writes." We, you know, we advertise in uh, CKNW. We don't agree with what Muammar says. We, you know, we don't, we advertise on CFAX. And we think Adam Sterling once in a while misses it. Just kidding. Adam Sterling is brilliant. <laughs> and I will not besmirch him in that way. But, you know, like they could have gone that, like we, re- we wished um, Muslims a happy, you know, happy Ramadan, uh, you know, or wish them, you know, well in that fact. And we would put it in a Muslim publication that had, you know, very similar uh, socially conservative values expressed in it. Uh, maybe over the top social community. like they could have done that and said, like, we buy ads, and you know, you tell us where we can wish Christians a happy Easter mm-hmm. if not in a Christian publication. That doesn't mean we step, we believe in everything they they say. It doesn't, like, like of course not. But instead, oh my gosh, they started cannibalizing each other on Twitter, throwing each other under the bus. Then it became all Lori Thronus's fault, and you know, like you kind of go on and on and on, and you're like, ah, guys, like if there's one thing the media probably would understand as reporters, they don't agree with everything that's in their own papers, right? Like they would get that. Like you could have had that kind of intelligent conversation. Aaron Gunn would have jumped right back in, throwing that back in their face. He would have done the video. He would have been like, you
0: know, we wish Christians a happy Easter. You promote in this, in this like labor union magazine, that's advocating for like a revolution, like what's, or what, you know, whatever it is. I, I mean, I think I think that one of the things that the BC Liberals need to do in terms of getting in terms of having the confidence to push back on those things is drawing some hard lines. And this can be done internally around some of the What they what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable discourse or policy discussions, and people need to sign on the dotted line when they sign up to be like, just guys, you guys know, conversion therapy, not a policy that's ever going to come up here, not a policy that's ever going to be discussed, and there's a one strike rule on this, so sign on the dotted line and do it, and then when you get pushback, you can actually stand up and say, no, these are our values, and we're not going we're not afraid to express them, but the problem is that you've got Mm -hmm. this split where you've you've got like. Some people would try to push back, or and then you got some people the next day out there, kind of you know, you know, trying to stomp off a you know, or paint over a rainbow crosswalk. It's it's stupidity, it's just pure stupidity. Uh, second point, question I just wanted to ask because this I think is an interesting thing. If Aaron Gunn runs but doesn't win the leadership, will the BC liberals, Kevin Falcon, Gavin Dew, whoever ends up winning it, give him a riding to run in as an MLA? And would he take it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So the problem for Gunn in this campaign is his following his social media, and I'm not sure that can convert into $10 yeah. memberships. Like, and, and, you know, I'd like to see, um, you know, we've talked about this on, on Hot Stove. It's kind of the AOC thing, right? Like, can you actually convert this massive social media following into memberships necessary to vote? Um, I do wonder if maybe Aaron's already got out of this race, what, the best case scenario, which is lots of publicity, profile, a chance to help shape kind of the voice of it. And maybe he he doesn't need to run. Like the only thing that can happen is, like two things can happen. He loses and then, you know, a little bit of the wind is taken out of your sails or he wins and he's the leader of the opposition. I'm not sure he wants to be that either, right? Like, okay, you wake up and I'm the leader of a party. Okay, now what do I do? (laughs) Um, So you're right. You know, I think Falcon is still the, the betting favorite. He's got a very uh, a pro, a very professional team. When he launches, he'll be well packaged. He's Been You'll, really
2: quiet though lately. He's right? got the history he's been, there. Yeah. He's got,
1: yeah, yeah. There was some talk that they, there was. My understanding internally is that there was a group of his folks who wanted him to come out at budget time and basically critique launch by critiquing the Horgan budget. And you know, former finance minister, he mm-hmm. can lead us back to prosperity. But the problem is the COVID yeah, it's, it's, delay the COVID now it's gonna is gonna be hard, so long.
2: Right? Like I there's think not really like any point. Gavin, like Gavin is yeah. I thought had a really slick uh entrance. Uh he's done some, you know, the media mm-hmm. releases. He's done that he's he's doing some good social media drips and all that stuff. Uh you know, I saw I had a, uh, an email uh you know uh they're saying you want you know do you want to do a zoom or this looking to connect to bc liberal members i was just like you know what like that's impressive the problem is is covid right and then like the third wave of the pandemic is 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 raging yeah. and i want to know like am i going to get my vaccine like what's enough? it's hard it is really hard for yeah. uh, politicians uh for these candidates it's a yeah. long road So, um, you know, I hope they all are ready for the marathon. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone is and all that, but, uh, yeah, so I, great on Gavin to get in there and get in the fight, but it's, it's been hard to get above COVID. And so that was the one thing I was like, is this why, you know, um, you know, Mr. Falcon, it, it it hasn't come out yet. Is he, is he biding his time waiting for when people are vaccinated and they're paying attention?
0: If Kevin Falcon wins, though, is that is that a tougher election for the BC Liberals or whoever, whatever party they want to call themselves? Because he is a lot more similar to the leaders they've had in the past. Because I, I almost have a sense that, like, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think he's definitely the odds-on favorite to win the nomination. But I actually think that somebody younger, like Gavin or Ellen, um, you know, would have a better shot in the actual general election.
2: But it's a I, 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 I mean, it's sorry, and this is me fighting for the older people in my life. Like first mm-hmm. off, Ke- Ke- Kevin <laughs> he, he, he's not old. Like he, he, well, no, he's I not old. old. <laughs> I
0: just mean like I just like he's Well, he's mid
2: fifties. He's mid fifties. Like he's not Biden. Come on. <laughs> <That's, yeah. laughs> No, no <laughs> yes, yes. She's not Pelosi, Biden, McConnell, Trump. She's <laughs> not a septuagenarian. I, I mean, how old was Horgan is Morgan? When anyway, he got in? Yeah, Morgan is. Young people love him. Now, Young people so love the Bernie. Well, like this I, I, is the I, thing. It's not. Right. It's not an age thing. It's. A, it's. A, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, but if you
0: if you if yeah. Kevin Falcon can be a Bernie, then great. <laughs> <laughs> like if you can if you can find ways of connecting with people, yeah, then then that's yeah. all power to you. But that's the. the ticket that has yet to be yeah. proven i think
1: but bernie made millions yeah, cool yeah, so anything absolutely. is possible like you're right i think part of the hesitancy on kevin is you go back to 2011 he loses the leadership to to Christie, and you know clark wins the miracle 2013 comeback election and i don't think even I, I mean put kevin on true serum i i doubt even he thinks he could win could have won that comeback election right like there was something magical uh, There's something magical about what Christie did. And it's one of the great victories in BC political history. Um, you know, I, I did see Falcon uh, during one of the times when we were allowed to see people <laughs> last year, briefly. And, you know, I can oh, say the fire was in his belly. He was, uh, yeah, he's ready to go. He uh, He understands the challenge. And I think he's now at the point in his life and actually being a little bit older, maybe helps him where he's like, you know, if I want to, you know, he looks back at those Campbell years uh, in the 10 years or 12 years he gave to public life as like putting foundational place, things into place for British Columbia, the Olympics, the Portman Bridge, the Candle Line. Like those are things that he sees as part, you know, he was part of that legacy he's left future British Columbians. And I think now he's like, We've gone through 10 years of nothing, like nothing has happened and everything is slowly falling apart. And I want to make sure that I'm leaving a legacy for my kids going forward. And I, I do think that is a you know, pretty powerful narrative. Now he's going to, you know, every candidate has baggage and <laughs> look, the NDP have a dossier on all of us. Um, you know, uh, I'm sure their folder on Kevin Falcon is quite thick. Um, Davey Eby already has dedicated parts of his podcast to bashing him, which is a very non-attorney generalist. Wait a minute! Did you just
2: admit yeah. you're listening to Not the Eby podcast, whatever it's called?
1: <laughs> I would never. I've been I've been reliably informed, sir. So you I've you're saying you're saying you listen to that podcast more than our podcast. <laughs> i've been relying i can honestly say i've never <laughs> listened to a Dave Eby podcast and i can't imagine i ever will so now eb has advantage our pod, my, my podcast gets transcribed by the oh, NDP sure. and sent to uh, various ministers so he may see and this is my thing on, i so think for go, for that jeff you, you uh, that
2: <laughs> I, you kind of talked about someone coming in that was different maybe you know prov- providing some i don't think it doesn't matter whoever comes in uh, so long as they can rally the troops, obviously that will be very important. But yeah, the NDP are going to come truth. with the same yeah. same hits on whether it's a a, a you know a Gavin, a Aaron, um, oh, I'm, I, Mike Ross, Mike Lee, um, and Ross. I'm sorry, if the, yeah, if sorry, the if the uh, woman from Kelowna who the media keeps screwing, yeah, well, Renee the, <laughs> the media Mary keeps killed. screwing up her name, so it's uh um you know but it, it, it and I uh, yeah from what I've seen, she's somewhat impressive as well. Like, but they're all going to be hit with the same baggage. They're all going to be hit with the same thing. So it, it, to me, it comes down to who's really willing to fight and is going to rally the troops build that team. If you're, if you're going to
1: bet a longer shot, bet I'd put a -hmm. few dollars on Renee. Um, I think she has a very Mm -hmm. high ceiling in this race. She's attracted some pretty solid political organizers. Um, Right yeah. now, she's the only woman in the race. That's obviously an advantage. Being the only anything in a race is, is helpful. Um, she's done well. I mean, she's a health critic. She seems to be settling in well. And I'll tell you this. I know very grizzled, veteran, um, callous, cynical political operatives who have you know, talked to her on Zoom or gone for a walk with her and, and drinking coffee in Victoria. And uh, they come back quite charmed. Like, And what they say is, they're not charmed in the way that Chris used to charm people. Uh, you see, they're charmed in the way that she actually asks some questions and then get this. She mm. listens to what they say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and, and this is a charming thing. So clearly she hasn't been in politics long enough to yeah. learn. Just to, you know,
2: tell yeah. Me I've you heard through, I've, I've heard okay. behind the scenes that she, she is seems impressive. To that right? that uh, yeah. Some people have said she's someone to watch. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to hopefully uh, her putting her mark in and, Getting into this race, it'd be it would be great.
0: Okay, well, that is a lot of time here, Jordan. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. And you know, maybe when we get the final slate, when we, maybe when we're kind of a year out, and we get the full, all the candidates and we're through COVID, we can have another re- recap of who's in, who's out, and what the chances are. Because it's probably a little early to too early to tell now on who's actually going to put a real shot in and who isn't. So, uh, now before we leave, how should people get a hold of you? Identify who you are. ICBC, I'm sorry, hey. no, ICBC, ICBA. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm so sorry, I'm so, so, so sorry. That's <laughs> uh, don't, get, don't get me, don't get it twisted. Um, how should people find you?
1: Uh, at Jordan Bateman on Twitter, probably the best place. Uh, Facebook.com slash the ICBA, if you want to see what we're doing there. And then, uh, yeah, theorca.ca, although I own McLean months worth of writing i've been uh, we've been we've been busy we've been busy but i'm unspo- uh, not or unspo- what podcast am i on hot stove <laughs> uh, bc poly hot stove there on uh, every usually every tuesday uh, mclean and i record so we're there on uh, youtube and wherever fine podcasts perfect are
0: okay well i'll definitely put those links in the description and uh thank you so much take care thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening to Unbound. If you enjoyed our conversation, the best way you can help us continue it is to give us a like and a five-star review wherever you get podcasts. It'd go a long way to help us grow our user base and include more and more people in our conversation. See you next time.